Welcome to Voices from the Street, the radio ministry of the Sacramento Union Gospel Mission. Prepare your heart for laughter and tears as we share the unpolished stories of the homeless and hurting, hope and transformation. Here is your host, director of the Union Gospel Mission, Pastor Tim Lane. Well, thank you guys for joining us today. I'm glad you're with us. I truly am. And I wanted to talk to you guys today. I have one of the guys from the mission, somebody that has worked there for about the last year, and and he is uh, in our finance department. We're not going to talk a lot about finance, but we are going to talk about transform, transformative uh, messages, and we're going to talk about transformed lives. Uh, before we went on air, we were talking about things that that don't seem right. I mean, potato chips that aren't potato chips and meat that isn't really meat and wood that isn't really wood. And, you know, I think those things are not, uh, you know, I, I don't find those to be good or healthy, but if you feel they are, that's fine. However, I can tell you something that isn't healthy. What isn't healthy is religion that really doesn't have God in it. Religion that is only religion and not true religion. And by that, I mean that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. There is a gospel message. It needs not to be watered down in any way. You can't transform a heart if, if God is not in it. And sometimes our messages have become so weak over the years that the, the unbelieving world can't see any difference between the church and every other religion in the world. We try so hard to accommodate the world that we look just like the world. And that is not a religion with substance. That is not a faith that transforms lives. And so today, I have somebody who went through the mission. They came onto the program, or he came onto the program. He did his nine months. He interned at the mission. And uh, on the other side of all of that, he was a guy that I could see a lot of talent in and a lot of knowledge and those type of things and a lot of potential that was coming along. And yet, he chose to stay in the kitchen beyond the time that he needed to because he believed in the gospel message. He believed in the transformative power, and he was transformed. And he was, uh, you know, originally estranged from his son, who's nine, I think now, right, Matthew? Uh, yeah, he's, he's eight, um, almost nine in a couple months. And so I would like to introduce you to Matthew Byro. And I'd like you, Matthew, to just give us kind of a brief how you even found the mission and what your life was spinning into. Uh, well, uh, so, you know, I, I struggled with my alcohol addiction and it was pretty strong. Um, you know, I drank like a handle of, of vodka every other day or what, so. What is a handle? Uh, it's a 1.75 liters. Okay. So there's quite a bit of vodka every day. Yeah, it is. It's, um, uh, you definitely were an alcoholic. Yeah. Um, you know, it all stemmed from in 2012, my mom and dad passed away in a two-week span, um, both from cancer. And, you know, my dad was hospice, so we got to kind of spend our time with him and say goodbye. We were prepared for that. 
But my mom, who was more of our backbone of our family, um, she passed away suddenly, and and I didn't know how to deal with that. I, I didn't know the Lord, so I didn't want to deal with it. So I turned to alcohol, and you know, over time, even though I I kind of got through that, I still st- struggled with alcohol. Uh, I just you know I didn't know how to deal with life without it. And so I just continued to drink. I tried to work. And for a long time, I was functioning. You know, I held a job. I paid my bills. But it would slowly creep up and catch up to me, end up in the hospital, lose a job, get another job, burn bridges with people. And slowly it was estranging me from my son. Um, You know, my ex certainly didn't trust me to be sober with him. And so she... And rightfully so. Yeah, she was was very right, too. Um, And so, you know, I didn't... I was slowly getting more and more out of his life, and he he was actually starting to become very aware when he would come over and see me in in that state sometimes, and it was it was very depressing, and that's where I was at, and you know I was spiraling down to being you know I I was kind of getting close to the point of wanting to kill myself, um, you know I I I didn't know what else to do. I tried to go to AA. I tried out outpatient programs. I tried other things and, and medication, but nothing seemed to work. And I I came to another place that was a Christian-based program, and that's where I came to the Lord. And I, I wanted help. And, you know, I didn't believe in God, but I said, you know, if God's helping other people, maybe he can help me. Hmm. Uh, and so I started, I came to believe, and I started to read the, the Word and um, familiarize myself with who Christ was, because I didn't know anything about Christ except for what, you know, the images that we see and that people know what Christ, <laughs> what they think sure, he looks like. Sure, that blue-eyed, blonde-haired <laughs> uh, guy, which it just, that can't even be close to the truth, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, I, I knew something had changed in me. Um, you know, when I left there, I still struggled. I, I wasn't connected with a church. Uh, I slowly stopped reading and stopped praying and of course, picked up my old habits, and but there was a difference. I, uh, you know, I'd be walking to the liquor store and I'd feel convicted. I have, I hadn't even done anything wrong yet, and I'd I'd feel bad. Mm-hmm. I get home, didn't even try to drink yet, still feel bad. And then, of course, once I drank, I I, I felt bad, and this was constant, and I, I couldn't get away from that. And I knew that was the Lord had had worked on me and changed, but I still struggled, and and I went down another path. I finally got kicked out and was homeless. Uh, you know, I was staying in a friend's car in a, in a, a friend's apartment for a couple of days and then in some hotel rooms. Uh, so I didn't have anywhere to go and right. slowly running out of money. And I got blackout drunk. I don't remember what happened, but I ended up in the hospital and had a high alcohol content. Yeah. Why don't you tell the folks, because you've told me what that <laughs> alcohol, mind you, I believe the new uh, the new threshold for drunk driving is 0.06 or something like that, or is it still 0.008? I'm not sure if they've changed it, but it was 0.08. Yeah, and what were you? I was 0.468. I've <laughs> I've had several times where I was that high, and, and even the nurses and doctors were quite surprised because a lot of times I came in and I was still very cognitive. I, I knew where I was at. I knew what was happening. Um you know, so they were very surprised because in that state, usually you should be in either a coma or sometimes even close to death. Um, and they were just surprised that I wasn't so bad as it as it showed on on you know on paper. 
Um, but I ended up there and, and not only that, I had been binging on using crystal meth because again, I got to a point where I just stopped caring. Just wanted to dull the pain. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I was doing things that were very outside of anything that was even normal for me. Normally it was just alcohol and, you know, they had concerns for releasing me. You know, they didn't think I would go out and do anything right. So they thought I would kill myself. And so they sent me to a, a mental facility to Sierra Vista and luckily there I, I spoke with some people and they also kind of had concerns. They mentioned the mission and said, you know, that they do have a program there, but even if they don't, ha- if I don't get in the program, they have a shelter yeah. and, you know, at me being somebody who's never been there before, I'm guaranteed a bed for the first seven nights. So that's right. it's something to start me on. And, you know, luckily I, my brother was really excited to get me over there and I came in and interviewed with Mr. Jarrett and luckily there was a couple spots open. I think at the time there was about 22 people there. And so there was two beds open and I was able to get in. And since then it's been a drastic change and I'm very thankful for that. So you went through the program and you have reestablished. And by the way, uh, we didn't talk about the fact that your brother was concerned about you for quite a while, right? Yeah. Um, he was, you know, he was afraid of getting a phone call because a lot of times he was my emergency contact. He was, sure. the, you know, my parents are gone. I don't have any other siblings, no one else that's really close to me. He's, that I he's older than you? Yeah, he's three years older than me. Yeah. And so, you know, constantly the hospital would, would ask, you know, is there anybody we can call to let them know you're here so that when you're discharged, yeah. we can, you know, have them pick you up. And usually it was him. And, you know, every time he would get frustrated, you know, he loved me. And of course he he cared for me. But it's it's frustrating to hear that I got to that point. And he was you know mad that I didn't reach out to him sooner to kind of say, hey, I'm going through a rough patch and maybe I can talk to him or he can come hang out with me. And, you know, he was afraid that he was going to get a phone call that I I passed away and he had to come identify me. And, And it was very you know, he was dealing with a lot of the same things I dealt with. He lost, we both lost our parents. And he lost you too. Yeah. You know, he was, he, he seen his brother change and me and him are, are two different people, but you know, he, yeah. you know, I know there's, there's a thing that we can always kind of depend on each other. You know, if we're really, our backs are at the wall, that's my brother. You know, I got his back sure. on everything and he can give me a call and I'll be there in a minute. And, and he was always the same way for me, but I know that over time that, that, relationship started to get distant, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it was because of my addiction. And uh, Yeah. Well, you know, folks, I don't know if you realize this or not, but the first time that you see somebody who is in your family who has been drinking a little bit, one of the sure signs that they're really going down the wrong path is isolation. And so you started to isolate yourself from your brother as well, right? Yeah. Um, it was, you know, my brother lived with me for a little bit. Um, you know, at a certain point, me and my ex had separated and he moved in with me, but he was also gone a lot with work and then he had a girlfriend. So it was a lot of times it was just me at my home. And then after he moved out, I, I really didn't hang out with anybody. I drank at home. I didn't go to a bar or nothing. So I isolated myself from a lot of people. I had a lot of longtime friends that I just stopped talking to and, and haven't isolation. Yeah. And it was, it was bad, you know? And, and like I said, when the times would get worse, 
I wouldn't reach out to anybody because I always felt like it was my problem. I, I have to deal with this. They don't, they don't need to be burdened by this. That's just going to cause them problems. And that's how I always felt is I have to do this on my own. And, uh, and then in that, it just got more depressing. And so I, I dug a hole deeper for myself. And a bigger burden on your family. Yes. Because if you're struggling right now with alcoholism, with drug abuse, there's a lot of other addictions, whether it's cutting oneself, uh, whether it is uh, being so depressed you can't get up in the morning. You do need to seek help. If you're a believer, go to your pastor and, and ask your pastor for help because Matthew thought that he didn't want to burden his family, but what he didn't realize is that every time he stepped away and just kept doing what he did was burdening his family even greater than if he had asked them for help, correct? Correct. And your brother was willing. Yeah, he he always was trying to help me out. You know, he even said, you know, again, this is his prior when I was trying to go to AA meetings, he said he would go and sit with me at the meetings if I felt uncomfortable, which I'm a pretty introverted person. You know, he said he would go and sit in there with me and, and he has no reason to, you know, but he said, if that's going to help you, I'll, I'll be there right with you. And, you know, again, I, I never took him up on that. I think one time I had him take me to a meeting, but that was, that was it. And, you know, I didn't really ask him ever to, to do those things. And he was always willing to do that for me. Yeah. People can't help you if you're not willing to get the help. Correct. And so what what happens is sometimes just the advice, listen, I'll help you find a place or, or you know, whatever the case is. But it it's also something that as a person who's having a problem, you need to reach out and get that help. Yes. So... You had heard about the Union Gospel Mission. Is that why you came, because of the recommendation from this other place? Or Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they wouldn't release me unless they were felt comfortable doing so. They they actually had me on an indefinite lock, and I was supposed to get reevaluated, I think, after like 14 days. And, you know, they were asking me, well, where can you go? And my brother doesn't—he didn't—, he didn't he doesn't really have the means to have me live with him and certainly didn't really want to. You know, I I was causing a lot of destruction and Well, he was married by then, right? Or um not? well, he's he's got a girlfriend, but okay. they um she has an older son. Um you know, he's in his I think he's 20s now, but he was, you know, late teens. And so it wasn't something that they wanted in their home and they didn't have, you know, it would have been sleeping on a couch or something like that and again, I was causing a lot of destruction and I know that that probably would have caused them a lot of destruction. You know, why are you helping your brother out? Or, you know, again, I, I've seen that happen to other people. Well, and certainly we don't want to influence a young person with that kind of action. Yeah. Uh, I fully understand that. My father was an alcoholic. He was a pharmacist and he came to visit. I was born in Spartanburg, South Carolina. I know it doesn't sound like it, but I was. <laughs> And uh, so my mom and dad broke up. And the reason I'm telling you this story is that the last time I ever saw my father, he came out. He was staying with me for a little while. I had little kids, and he got absolutely blind drunk, belligerent, and uh, 
he apologized the next day. And I, he said, it, it won't happen again. I said, you're absolutely right. It better never happen again. Because my little kids saw all that. Mm-hmm. And of course, the very next night, it happened again. And so I drove him to the bus depot. He went back to South Carolina. And although I talked to him, uh, I never saw him again. And he is now, uh, he has passed. So your brother couldn't afford to have the chaos that comes with an alcoholic. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and then, of course, my, my parents are passed away, so I don't have a parent to go live with. And right. much of my, my rest of my family, I just haven't spoke to in, in many years. I'm, I'm, you know, have them on Facebook and they, they see little updates and things like that from me, you know, nowadays. But even even now, I still haven't really talked to many of them because I'm still working through, you know, my, my life. And I, I have a lot to focus on with my son and with my job with, with church. And, you know, but I, I reach out to him. I send him a message now and then, but at that time, you know, I haven't talked to them for years. And again, they, they knew what was going on with me. So I, the place didn't want to release me unless I had somewhere pretty much for sure to go and that they felt comfortable doing so. Right. If, if not, they were just going to keep me there for my safety. And understandable actually yeah <laughs> I mean, you know let's face it yeah and it's very surprising because my brother mm-hmm. and i looked many times for rehab programs places i could live yeah places i, I could stay it. and we never came across the union gospel mission and and you know <laughs> i I'm very surprised because it's been around for we've been around for 60 years this year and, and you know so yeah I, I came here and and it was one of the few places that i knew i could go and and it was free of charge and you know, there's a possibility of even getting in that same day. So that's what led me to there. Uh, you know, you came, to, and I wanted to just interject something here. If you're a parent, you had said your mom and dad were no longer around, so they couldn't, you know, keep you there or whatever. It's not always a great idea for a parent to keep an alcoholic son at their house anyway. Yeah. Because you you enable them to do it. And I've had parents say to me, well, I'm afraid he's going to go kill himself. And there is always a risk that they will do exactly that. But if you if you just keep supporting them through this addiction without any requirement for them to get help, you, you're still going to watch them die. Yeah. And so, Matthew, you think a couple of more years on the streets, you could have made it? Oh, no. I I was pretty much at the end of my rope. And, you know, I, I would say I've always been kind of a, a kinder person to people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I've learned my lesson with some people because I was too kind and got taken advantage of, you know, things stolen from me and mm-hmm. and the such. And living on the streets, I know a lot of people that do. And, and prior to even coming to the mission and meeting some of the folks who have pretty much have been out on the streets since I got there. But uh, people I knew around my neighborhood, you need to be a little bit more cutthroat. You have to look out for yourself and you have to sometimes do things that are not not kind, you know, to other people because you need to watch out for yourself. And it's not saying that everybody is is mean out on the streets. There are some kind hearted people. But, but it's mean out there. Yeah. You've got to take care of yourself first. And, you know, I probably sure. would have, you know, again, I probably wouldn't have lasted much longer. You know. You know, and I absolutely believe that. 
I wanted to tell you something before we run out of time, and I'm going to hold Matthew over so that we can do next week's show too. But what I wanted to tell you is some people may lift a a skewed diet. You took a guy who was an alcoholic, brought him through the program, and then you hired him in the finance department? Uh, Are you serious? Yes, I am serious. Matthew is a man of, of a different quality, and he was never a criminal. He was an alcoholic, and he may have done things there, but he was you know, he was never in jail, never in prison. Well, I don't know if you were in jail or not. No. Never was... in prison. But here's the bottom line. Matthew has a good heart that has been redeemed by Christ. He is a member or going to be a member of a very healthy church, IBC, which is Robert Briggs Church, a man that I have the utmost respect for. And uh, I have the utmost respect for Matthew as well, and I would trust him with my own money, and I have no problem trusting him at the mission because Matthew is truly a transformed individual. And, you know, even at that, if Matthew found himself faltering, I know he would just leave or he would come for help. But moreover than that, Matthew has seen the destruction that that lives given to alcohol can can do. And he's got a son that he loves very much and wants to be a part of his life. And you are, right? Yeah. So you've been saving up money and you're trying to get an apartment so you can spend even more time with your son, right? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Um, Hopefully soon, you know, I've, I've been able to save some money and take care of debts that I had coming into the mission and you know, soon I would, I might have a place where he can come and stay with me, you know, hopefully on weekends or, you know, when he's out of school, things like that. And it'll, it'll be a, a blessing. He is giving something that I can tell you from personal experience that is invaluable. And that's he's giving his son back a father <clears throat> and his, uh, his ex and his ex's uh, husband. Yeah have been very kind and very good to Matthew and shown a lot of trust and respect. I, I, I know from our conversations they believe you're transformed too. Yeah. To the point where she's willing to trust you with her son. Yeah, uh, very different than when I was in my addiction. Even the times when I would be clean and sober, she always had that, uh, you know, are, are you really clean and sober mm-hmm. or are you, you only showing me that? And then the moment I leave... You know, I'm going to be drinking again. Yeah, and we're almost out of time, so I'll hold him over. But I did want to tell you one thing. There's a huge difference between clean and sober and and sober. You can be sober and not be clean. Yeah. But in Christ, you can truly be clean and sober, right? Yes. So we got one minute. Any parting words that you'd like to say? Um, I, I would like to thank everybody who help support the mission, you know, with their time, with the mm-hmm. financials, mm-hmm. with the prayers. You know, I, I, no, I found prayer is such a powerful tool yeah. in, in our personal lives when we can pray for others and, and receive prayer. It's it's a blessing, and I thank everybody that, that helps out the mission. You know, I, I echo those things. I tell every church that I've ever spoke at that 
hey, if you can only one do one thing for the mission, if it's only financial or donation or whatever or prayer, then give us only prayer. You all have the capability. So we're out of time. So as always, my dearest friends, until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. You've been listening to Voices from the Street, the radio ministry of the Sacramento Union Gospel Mission. If your heart's been touched and you want to know more about the work of the mission, log on to UGMSAC.com, UGMSAC.com. To donate clothing, food, time, or financial help, call 916-447-3268, 916-447-3268. Thank you so much for listening. Join us again next week at the same time for Voices from the Street.